Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161Z4T8, teacher in Sweden, from the Easy Chair, excellent colloquies on various subjects. R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 150, July 14, 1987. Today, we have with us our newest staff member, Gary Mose, who for the past two years, uh, partly with Cal Seton's assistance, has been teaching at a Swedish college. And we are going to uh, talk with Gary and his very lovely wife, Carlinda, about their experience in Sweden and the nature of the society there. But before we do, Otto, July the 14th is an important date in history, one you know a great deal about. Would you like to comment on it? Yes, July 14th is Bastille Day. And when the crowd broke into the great massive prison, they found eight pensioners because the crown had long ceased to use it as a prison. And all France still celebrates it as a great victory over tyranny. <laughs> <laughs> well, some years ago, Roland Huntford, a very, very uh, perceptive journalist, wrote a book on Sweden after spending a great many years there. The book was entitled The New Totalitarians. Unfortunately, the book is now out of print. The uh, thesis of his book was that while the Soviet Union represented the old totalitarianism based on terror, the new totalitarians in Sweden base theirs on education. They are very faithful and thorough disciples of John Dewey and his whole approach, whereby people are to be re-educated to find their place in society and to accept the will of the elite planners and to feel that it is the blessed state for them. Gary, why don't you lead off and uh, make some observations, whatever you'd like to say about your experience in Sweden. Well, uh, shortly before I left Sweden, I ran across this book that you mentioned, The New Totalitarians. <clears throat> and uh, although I hadn't completed reading the book yet, uh, what I have read of it seems to be a, a very timely and very contemporary description of Sweden as it exists today, even though the book was written some ten years ago. Um, we have discovered in our short stay, the relatively short stay there of two years, that uh, indeed the state has become God in Sweden. The Swedes for, uh, for centuries almost have been predisposed to the idea of a, uh, of a paternalistic system. Uh, which, of course, is, is not always bad in a biblical sense, but in this case, uh, the, the role of the father uh, has been assumed by the state. And uh, Swedes, in virtually every area of their life, um, 
look to the state for their every provision. Um, this has some very grave implications and consequences on families, on the church, on education, and virtually uh, the, the living of every aspect of life. Carlinda, what would you say about life in Sweden, especially as it affects family life? Well, first of all, Sweden is a very lovely country. And when you first come, and even after you've been there a while, um, things look very normal and very calm, and families seem to be quite happy. But when you come to know families more intimately, um, most of the time both parents are absent from the home. Mothers must work because they, they simply can't uh, provide for their families without both husband and wife working. And as a result, um, the children are given quite free reign to do whatever they would like to do. When we first came to Sweden, the children were the only ones who um, welcomed us readily. The, the parents tended to stay away until they knew us or had been formally introduced. And, and the children came and, and they knew they were welcome in our home. And from the beginning, we had many children in our home every day. And as a result, we got to know the children. And I would say that they're, they're not necessarily happy children, although they do seem to have all the things they need for life. Swedes are, are very um, well taken care of materially, but once you get to know the Swedish people, as Carlin says, you, you identify uh, um, almost a longing, uh, a spiritual longing, or some dimension to life other than the material. I recall talking to an engineer some years ago who had lived in Gothenburg and worked in Gothenburg for about five years, a Dutch engineer. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, uh, it wasn't bad. He said, we all had the same things. He said, we had the same little car. We had the same apartments. He said, we had the same little house in the country. And he said, we had the same kind of furniture and ate the same kind of food and did, well, he said it was all the same. And he said it got to be unutterably depressing. <laughs> yes, I think uh, we could concur with that. There is a, a tremendous sameness about uh, virtually everything in Sweden, the, the things that you listed, homes, uh, cars. Um, to the point that for an outsider, especially for us coming from America, where just in the consumer market there's such a great variety of, and uh, it's an overwhelming number of choices. Um, in Sweden, uh, there is almost a monotony. And uh, in terms of social relationships, this is also the case. There are uh, strong sanctions which... Um, are incentives to conformity. And well, to, how do they apply them? Well, to dissent in, in Sweden is uh, one of the worst crimes that anyone can commit. Is it a social be, uh, crime? Yes. Very to contradict, so. to take issue? Yes. Not to agree? All right. Uh, and uh, they can be very vicious about it. Uh, the uh, president of the college where I was 
working is a well-known dissenter in Sweden and he has been treated with the utmost disdain um, he has been slandered in every way possible in every media medium possible uh, not only in the mass media but uh, uh, gossip in communities and Sweden is really one big community <laughs> a lot of the characteristics of a small town apply to the nation as a whole uh, dissenters are well known uh, their dissent is never forgotten and never forgiven is it ever expressed openly dissent yes I mean I mean uh, the idea that you shouldn't dissent or is it just oh, simply that well, anyone who does is immediately yes, mistreated more the case in fact they make they might make quite a case that uh, of the opposite that they are an open society um, who, uh, that welcomes debate uh, mm-hmm. welcomes diversity uh, and that's not the case I recall the, the first fall that we were there um, the teachers socialist teachers in the community organized all of the school children in the community of about 7,000 people uh, to have a mass demonstration on the day I think it was the uh, 40th anniversary of the founding of the United Nations and also happened to coincide with the uh, Soviet Front Organization uh, World Peace Council's International uh, Peace Demonstration mm-hmm. on Radio Moscow that evening. We heard about how there were supposedly spontaneous demonstrations throughout the world in favor of uh, peace and unity. Uh, anyway, the teachers in the community organized the school children, painted placards and put them in their little hands and marched them through the streets to a park where a number of speeches were given about disarmament and mm-hmm. the usual uh, socialist uh, themes. The students, small number of students at the college where I taught decided, this is on their own initiative, that they wanted to present a uh, an alternative message to the community and so painted some placards the effect of uh, supporting national defense, peace with strength, and, and some common themes like that, which in the United States would hardly cause a ripple. Mm-hmm. But these students were were um, harassed. Um, Carlinda and my children joined with them in holding some placards and simply stood in the background, said nothing, except held the placards, and uh, the police moved in on them. There had been complaints to the police about their presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, although the police insisted that Sweden was a free country, um, they said that uh, our students and my family were breaking the law because they had not applied for a permit to demonstrate. Mm-hmm. Our response was that we were just uh, participating in a community-wide demonstration. Mm-hmm. Um, simply bringing a different message mm-hmm. we didn't need a permit any more than any other member of the community did since a permit had been acquired by the sponsors and they had invited the entire community to come and join in mm-hmm. uh, the names were taken and we are in police records there now simply for having been there uh, although they did not arrest us complaints were filed complaints we were, were filed yes and we were threatened with arrest. 
threatened with arrest. What is the tax rate in uh, Sweden? Tax rate, uh, income tax, is an average of 55%. And uh, on top of that, there is an across-the-board sales tax of 25%. Oh, 25%. The, uh, that tax, uh, that sales tax, is built into the posted prices of consumer goods in most cases, so that when you go to a, a boutique or a store, um, the it's price will include the tax. It's included in. Yes. So, so they don't, don't say so much plus tax. <laughs> right. How can you buy food there, Carlin? <laughs> that was difficult. It was very expensive, and just to feed a family with four children was difficult. Um, we would go to the grocery store, and if we came out and had spent 350 crowns, I felt good, and that's about $60. Oh, my. And that was a short stop. That was a short that stop. That was a short stop. A loaf of bread, um, the regular price was about 21 crowns, which is about $3.50 at the exchange rate. And uh, everything was expensive, much more expensive than here. Rather difficult to feed a family then. What was the quality of the food? Um, meats, for example. Meats. Sweden has a possibility of having good meats because they, they raise a lot of their own um, products, of course. I think the quality was fine. Well, the quality by American was standards, not. I would say that you know, the beef was not as tender and um, it was pure. Chicken, chickens were, we always laughed about the chickens. Uh, a whole chicken resembled uh, what we would consider a, a piece of chicken. Oh, really? <laughs> a tiny chicken? <laughs> a very tiny, very scrawny, and tough. Uh, uh, we were, we were told that uh, chickens were for laying eggs, and when they were finished with that task, and then they were eaten. Oh, they were elderly chickens. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, going back to the descent business, that's a universal to a great extent. Uh, we pay an awful lot of lip service to our freedom of speech, but conservatives and Christians know that we don't have the same freedom of speech that the liberal left has in the United States. But uh, it isn't a community-wide thing. It's more of a media governmental thing versus the community. And I think that's a significant difference because over there, it's apparently the whole community shares in this loathing of any contradiction. They contradict privately. Oh, they do. Yes. And they're willing to speak to you privately. Uh huh. But never for the, the community to see. I exactly. See. So they probably think you're you're stupid if you do it publicly. Right. We. Um, I think that we came to be well-liked in the town because mm -hmm. we, we made an effort to be friendly. Mm -hmm. But there were people who in the beginning stayed away from us simply mm -hmm. because of who we were and who we were associated with. You're associated with a local pariah. Right. <laughs> I'd like to read something from uh, Huntford's New Totalitarians. He quotes Aldo Huxley. Uh, and I quote, there is, of course, no reason why the new totalitarianism should resemble the old. Government by firing squads is not merely inhuman. 
it is demonstrably inefficient, and in an age of advanced technology, inefficiency is a sin against the Holy Ghost. A really efficient totalitarian state would be the one in which the all-powerful executive of political bosses and their army of managers control a population of slaves who do not have to be coerced because they love their servitude, unquote. And Humphrey adds, of all people, it is the Swedes who have come closest to this state of affairs. In other words, he says they have been educated into this slavery, and at least outwardly they profess to love it. Would you comment on that, both of you? I think that that's an accurate assession, uh, assessment. Um, whether they love it in their hearts or whether they have just simply become um, so accustomed to the servitude that they know no other way of life, uh, they're dependent people. It struck me that in many ways the Swedes have become just a, a dependent people, almost to the point of being junkies on the uh, on the provisions which are given to them. And Sweden is well known for. Uh, it's cradle to the grave provision um, of the basic needs of mankind. Uh, that's not an entirely accurate. Uh, but they look. They look so good. They're tall yeah. and, and uh, husky looking. And yeah, yeah. But as I say, they, they've they've become a dependent people, um, almost afraid to get off of this dependency, and it's it's kind of a vicious circle. We talked about the. the tax rate there. Uh, everyone complains about the tax rate, mm -hmm. but they are unwilling to take the steps necessary to reduce um, that tax rate. Is it all reducing the public uh, bureaucracy? Yes. It's withheld because it's withheld. I can't imagine anybody right. setting aside 55% of their income to pay at the end of the year. Right, except of course for the sales tax, which is which they don't like to talk about as even being a tax, but it is you know, one-fourth of everything that you spend your money on in terms of consumer purchases and those taxes. But they, they hate these taxes. Everyone complains about them. And uh, they, in order to recoup what, they've, what they're putting out in taxes, uh, go for and take and connive and scheme for every way possible to get a government benefit. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a matter of survival to mm -hmm. recoup what you've paid. And so you have this vicious circle of a demand for government services, mm -hmm. which of course results in a very high tax burden. Uh, so you just have this, this continual vi uh, vicious circle spiraling, really. What about the tax collectors? I think I read, was it the great director, I've forgotten his name now, the great movie director, Ingrid Bergman. Ingrid Bergman, yes, who fled the country because they were going to imprison him on the tax question. Well, we ran across a number of examples of wealthy people who, who leave the country. Mm -hmm. um, it's the only way the, you know, the very wealthy can survive in their 
wealthy state is to take their money and run. Mm -hmm. What is the tax rate at the top limit? Uh, I heard examples that it was over 100%. Mm -hmm. That's confiscation. That's planned confiscation. Total. You have uh, wealthy people who perhaps maintain a residence in Sweden to maintain their Swedish citizenship but spend a good portion of the year uh, out of the country. Quite often it's in Spain where the costs are low and uh, mm -hmm. the living is fine along the mm -hmm. Riviera and so on. We, we knew of a number of wealthy people who made that a way of life. Is there a family allowance? Oh yes. That's, um, virtually automatic and across the board. If you have children, each uh, child is worth, well, what was it? Uh, 400 crowns a month. 400 crowns a month, which would be the equivalent of about $60 yeah. per but that, child. That goes up with each child you have. If um, I think one or two children, it's that rate. But when you have three, it's a little more. And when you have four, it's quite a jump. When you, when you encourage larger families? No, I don't think they encourage larger families. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm not sure why they give you more money. I, I really don't know. And the birth rate is low there. Yep. Mm -hmm. Abortion is a, a big factor in family planning. And uh, it amazed us that it's not questioned by the churches. This is the Lutheran Church? All the churches. All the churches. All the churches. Mm -hmm. Do they have a state church in Sweden? They do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they tax for the church, the state church. Tax for the church and uh, the church. The church boards are elected in a regular civil election. Uh, the political parties, including the communist and the social democratic party, run candidates and campaign for their candidates for communist clergymen. <laughs> yes, uh, for church uh, boards. Not the clergymen, but for the church governing boards. communities. And is abortion paid for by the state? Yes. Mm -hmm. Medicine, uh, is there any oh. private medicine? Um, yes, there is some. Um, although very few. Very few? Very few private doctors. Dentists were, were a case in point, I think. Um, I called for an appointment for my children to get in to see the local dentist, and they could get in within a month. And I said, could I get in at the same time? And they said, no, you'll have to wait two years. Two years? Two years. And I, I Good just... Good thing you didn't have a toothpick. <laughs> <laughs> I just started laughing, and I said, two years? And she said, well, you can go to a private dentist if you would like to. But the waiting list in that town for an adult is two years. I really believe that Sweden is a system that centers around the children and children's rights, and adults all take a back seat. What do you suppose is the philosophy behind that? Do they expect to raise a new breed of some sort, like yes. the new Soviet man? I would suspect that because the parents are not allowed to impose their beliefs on the children. It's a plan of breaking with the past. Mm -hmm. Yes. You cannot uh, spank the child. You cannot force uh, the child to go to Sunday school or church, even though they're not worth going to. 
You cannot impose anything on the child, so it's the state does, that does the imposition. Well, how does the children school. behave under this system? <laughs> Atrociously. Uh, are, they, are they difficult with their parents? That knowing that they're protected by the government? Yes, that, you might not believe that that could happen, but it very definitely does happen, and it's common, and it's a characteristic of most Swedish homes, I think. The children know that they have a recourse outside of the home mm -hmm. um, on the children's television programs. There are, there are two channels, two television channels in all of Sweden, and they're both owned and operated by the government. Um, and on the children's television programs, uh, occasionally, quite frequently, children are advised that if they have any difficulties with their parents, uh, they are invited to call a number which flashes on the screen to make a complaint. And once a complaint is made, um, that complaint is accepted as fact, and the child can be removed immediately from home without any investigation and placed in a foster home and if a determination is made by the local welfare board that the ch child's complaint or a neighbor's complaint or anyone's complaint against a parent in favor of a child uh, has some merit whether it does or not but if a decision is made that it does uh, that decision is final there is no court to appeal to, no no recourse whatsoever. There's no appeal from a decision of the child welfare officials. So the child is taken from the home permanently? Um, could be. And could how be do they treat the child in their institutions? Um, My recollection of institutions around the world is that they're not the kindest places. <laughs> well, Swedes have moved away from institutions to a large extent. In ah. most cases, children are placed in a foster home? Foster homes, yeah. And of course, foster homes are approved and licensed. Uh -huh. uh, generally speaking, the philosophy of the foster home is one which is acceptable to the social democratic uh, authority. And in this country, the public school uh, counselors are trying to encourage the same kind of attitude among the children stating that if there are problems uh, at home, if their parents are making them go to church or Sunday school or have uh, an insistence on prayers and family devotions, to come to them and they will do something about it. However, it's not as bad as in Sweden. Well, and the, <laughs> the potential is, is there. I yes. think in many states here in the United States, you know, Virtually the same legal structure exists. I recall as a journalist covering the legislature in Montana when uh, the child abuse laws were vastly broadened uh, to yes. the point where they were almost identical to what yes. we witnessed in Sweden. There. I remember when the when the law became effective, there was quite a public relations campaign uh, to acquaint children and public school teachers, uh, daycare providers to be alert for evidences of what they called abuse, and that could be just about anything the child didn't like. I know Make one a complaint, and the complaint would mm -hmm. be investigated. I know one instance in this country in which a uh, junior high boy, after getting that kind of talk from counselors, 
threatened his mother that he would report her for her disciplining and uh, she said good you do that and it'll be the last thing you ever do <laughs> he well, believed her <laughs> children will take advantage of this uh, believe me uh, yes we feel that our children are fairly well disciplined and understand uh, parental authority and uh, we've always tried to implement biblical principles in our home in terms of discipline, but I don't think we were in Sweden a week. Uh, children being aware of the, uh, the laws there when we uh, attempted to discipline them immediately cited this law, <laughs> reminded us that they could not be spanked. Uh, so, you know, children are aware of this. How did you bring them into line? <laughs> With great difficulty, apparently. We said not in this house. <laughs> People would ask us if we weren't afraid of that law, and we said no, because we, first of all, are accountable to God, and um, should that ever be an issue, we, we could leave this country. Uh -huh. The Swedish Christian parents cannot do that. And believe me, there are Swedish Christian parents who live in mortal fear of losing their children almost any day. We have children like that would be worth losing. We have close Christian friends there who um, have a foster child in their home also. And, and she, the mother told me that she spanked the children until they were to the age that they said, you can't do that anymore. And she said, you have no idea how it feels to a mother to know that any day I could lose my children. So she said, I stopped spanking my children at a certain age. I'd like to call attention now to a well-known fact, namely the anti-Americanism of Sweden. And uh, Sweden has been very, very prone to criticizing us in our treatment of minorities. However, as Huntford in his book, The New Totalitarian, said, and I quote, The treatment of the Swedish laps compares unfavorably in many ways with that of the American Indians. At least the New World settlers openly stole, cheated, and conquered. But the Swedes in the 16th century promised the last possession of their land for eternity in the words of a royal charter. Nevertheless, the Swedes dispossessed the Laps, and when iron was discovered in northern Lapland, paid no compensation. Later on, money was made available in modest amounts, but administered by Swedish authorities at their discretion alone as charity. The United States government is now paying mineral royalties to the surviving Indians. The Swedes have yet to make comparable amendments, unquote. Of course, they're very harsh in our, uh, with regard to our treatment of the blacks and uh, are as given to mythologies about us as our press is to South Africa. Uh, Carlinda, I believe you were telling me the other day about the response to the Bill Cosby show in Europe and in Sweden. Could you comment on that? Well, we always had to chuckle a little bit because everyone there loves the Cosby show as much as the people do here. But they were, many of them were just a little bit surprised that there could be such a uh, portrayal of a productive, wealthy American black family. 
and I'm not sure they really believe that that could be possible in our country. That program stands in stark contrast to the, the typical documentary on life in the United States, which uh, dwells on the, the plight of the slum dweller, particularly the black, and in many cases the Indians. Uh, there's just there's just an assumption that that Indians are all downtrodden and dispossessed, and uh, that the blacks are uh, downtrodden drug addicts, uh, can't survive, um, live in the streets. So it, it came as quite a surprise to see quite a different portrayal of an entertainment program of a, of a wealthy, happy American black family on the Cosby Show. And oddly enough, that program has become the number one program in Sweden. So. That's great. <laughs> How did they treat you individually as Americans in Sweden? Did they express any of these prejudices to you? Fortune to defend the country, that sort of thing? Well, Sweden, when we say Sweden is anti-American, I think we should clarify that it really isn't Sweden that's anti-American. It's the social democratic establishment. It's the socialists who are anti-American. And the media. Uh, well, the socialists and all of the institutions that they control, which is virtually everyone. Mm -hmm. um, we found that the, the average Swedish person particularly when they got to know us, uh, or once they got to know us, <laughs> and that's difficult to break through that stereotype uh, Swedish reserve, but once you do, you, you find a very warm person, and uh, we, were, we were treated very kindly, and we established some very close ties, probably some of the closest ties that we've ever had in our lives among uh, Swedish Christian people. Mm -hmm. um, the, the anti-Americanism uh, seems to be evaporating somewhat amongst the young people. Mm. Uh, this was fostered, of course. The, the anti-Americanism was fostered by Olaf Palma, the, the late prime minister who was assassinated mm. last year. Um, but uh, the young people uh, who, have, who have come into their... Uh, knowledgeable years since uh, the Vietnam era, for example, um, almost idolize America. And the, we noticed uh, one curious thing. The, the big status symbol for a teenager or a young person in Sweden is to own an old American car. Hmm. Uh, they, they will hunt them down uh, anywhere they can find them, pay a premium for them. They're all in mint condition. And strangely enough, they often fly American flags on these old American cars as they drive down the streets. Mm, well, that's and sort of a defiance of the establishment, isn't it? <laughs> I think that could be it. Uh, there's a, as we look at uh, many European things with a sort of uh, uh, chic attitude, uh, mm -hmm. it's kind of the reverse there. It's chic to be made in America or have something American among the young and among those who are not socialists. Mm. How about the Christians? I mean, not churchmen, but the true Christians there. What was your observation, Carlinda? You said you knew a great many. Mm. We really came to love them. I believe that they are some of the most praying people I have ever met in my life. They understand, most of them, the praying people understand what's wrong with their country and they understand what can fix it and that's only God 
and they are not going to look to the churches because the churches have turned away from them um, in fact call them parachurch if they meet for a Bible study privately or if they're involved with anyone who is not um, who the church doesn't agree with or who the church wouldn't support but these people pray and they they pray daily believing that God will heal their land and we have come to love them and respect them so much and they've taught us so much about praying when the odds are against you the uh, comprehensive group mentality applies also to the established church in Sweden uh, as Carlin has said anyone who operates in the spiritual realm without the direct approval and sanction of an established church is labeled a subversive subversive yes uh, because we were new in the country and uh, were having difficulty learning the difficult Swedish language and trying to maintain some uh, spiritual fellowship we asked uh, an evangelist uh, or missionary friend of ours uh, an elderly missionary who has spent 50 years on foreign missions working on his own um, he happened to live on our street we asked him if he would lead an English language Bible study and uh, as it turned out a number of our Christian friends thought this was a good idea and would like to join with us just for the sake of uh, practicing their English and, and also giving us the spiritual support that we needed and so we began uh, a, a Bible study just an ordinary Bible study like many Christians have around the world in a private home and after a few weeks we started to uh, hear rumors and then some pretty solid feedback that this small group of believers, true believers worshiping together in this home just studying the Bible, praising God praying together for personal needs and the needs of the world and the nation uh, were in fact being considered uh, troublemakers in the community they uh, the local Pentecostal church which is the most evangelical of the churches in Sweden um, the, the pastor there actually warned the congregation about this group about joining with the group um, uh, we were uh, quickly labeled as uh, troublemakers again simply for worshiping God together mm -hmm. well we've had people uh, arrested and put in jail for having Bible classes in their homes in the United States because they violated the zones zoning regulations in Denver and in various other Los cities. Angeles yes eastern cities well, I guess that's what it's coming to um, Interestingly enough, in, in the midst of, of persecution in that direction, uh, I see the church worldwide moving in the direction of these small private groups, meeting in homes. The house churches around the world are becoming the the, uh, the effective mode of worship and of change, spiritual change. In well, yes, having society. lost the clergy, the yeah. people are pulling together with each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, the fact that you were Dutch, uh, did that uh, 
help or hinder. In other words, you were not only Americans there, you also had a Netherlands background. I don't know if many people knew what uh, our national background was. We were asked a few times, uh, and uh, Carlinda is blonde and tall and looks very much the Swede. Yes. I think everyone, since we were there in Sweden, must have assumed that we had some Swedish kinship of some, some mm -hmm. kind. So. Well, when they found out I was from Minnesota, then they all knew I had to be Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, uh, how about the willingness to learn? Students have mindsets in different parts of the world, in fact, even in this country. What was the mindset of the students there? Of course, you were dealing with a different type of student, one with a little bit more initiative than any of the others. You mean in the college? Oh, you're talking about the college yes. students. Uh, that was one of the great disappointments, I think, of my uh, consulting career there at Scandinavian Christian University. We had a lot of inquiries from students, so there definitely is interest in, uh, in, al in an alternative to the state monopoly in education, particularly in the area of journalism. Uh, the journalism education in the state schools is thoroughly Marxist. Mm. Um, so there is an interest among students and there's an interest among um, the conservative elements of the media to have an alternative journalism education. So we had a lot of inquiries. Uh, but uh, we noticed that as soon as the students found out that this school charged tuition, and by comparison to the United States, it was just a pittance, mm. a token tuition, um, they realized uh, that there was free education to be obtained in the state universities, and so that was a major obstacle. They're not accustomed to paying for education. They're not accustomed to paying for education or for anything. And mm -hmm. uh, so we, we lost a lot of inquirers that way. The ones that we finally did get, and, and the enrollment is very small there, I was really disappointed, not so much in the caliber of the students, because they were, they were bright, and uh, some of them uh, showed some some real potential in terms of being writers, journalists, reporters, but um, seem to lack um, a determination to get to obtain a quality education. They would come to class for a while and then decide uh, it was too much work. Oh, really? Uh, would drop out. Did uh, they argue? No, not so much. Uh, they would. Uh, they would listen to the lectures. Uh -huh. Do they get up and say, this isn't what I've been told all my life, or things like that? And yes, that was mentioned. Uh, that didn't particularly upset them. So they, they came to the school knowing that it was definitely an alternative, and mm -hmm. that it represented an alternative point of view. But, uh, as I say, the big disappointment was there was just seemed to be a lack of incentive to study and to stick with. They didn't, did they turn in papers? Did they perform? No, that no? Was one of the real difficulties. They wouldn't uh, turn in a paper. Wouldn't turn in papers. Well, you know we're having that here. My daughter tells me that of her classes, you know, she's finished now, but most of the time they didn't do the uh, projects. Most of the class didn't do the project. That's a real problem. Just couldn't do it. 
What was the attitude generally, students, community, people, towards the Soviet Union? Well, it's generally, at least in, in the public face, it's positive. Um, there's a, there's a almost what I identified as a, as a desire to believe the Soviets. Uh, uh -huh. was, you, you felt an undercurrent that that they knew they were being lied to, and the Soviets would speak to them or would speak uh, to the world at large. Well, it's like our disarmament uh, <laughs> editorials, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's a great desire here to think that everything will be all right. That's it. And, and I, I came to see it almost as uh, the mentality that, uh, well, if we're nice to the Soviets, maybe they won't bother us. Well, sure. They will go away. If we don't, uh, if we don't put up a SDI, yeah. then they won't get angry. You know, the but more you tell me about Sweden, the more it seems to me that the whole West is in the same situation. Oh, yeah, it's very much. Sweden it goes beyond the West, yes. the whole world. Well, it has a common culture. Some are further into it than others. Sweden is probably just in the vanguard of a worldwide movement. Yes. And, and I, I well, think it's, it's, it's a little bit more exaggerated there. Yeah. I mean, there... Well, it had an early start. Uh, the socialist mentality existed almost before, uh, really did exist even before socialism uh, became established in the Soviet Union. Oh, yes. Um, I mean, we had Ibsen and all that stuff uh, was popular in the 90s, wasn't it? There was, a, there was a collective mentality in Sweden way back into the Middle Ages. Uh, so, uh, when socialism, when Marxism uh, became a factor in the world, uh, the ground was uh, really prepared for it uh, already in Sweden, and there was just a, a simple acceptance of it. The, the social democrats, uh, politically, just moved into a, a fertile field that was already prepared for them. Well, here in the United States, Wisconsin and Minnesota have always been very socialistic. Yep, and we were both both born and raised in that area of the country and having been in Sweden now we certainly understand much better uh, why that area of the country is the way it is. Well, I remember the last America. socialist mayor of Milwaukee. He was a socialist mayor for over 20 years. And the Socialist Party, uh, Socialist Labor Party, which is a Trotskyite party, but the Socialist Party, the real Socialist Party, was very strong up in that part of the, of the mm -hmm. United States. And I don't know, uh, we're, we, uh, we have a situation here, we have liberals who are socialists. They call themselves liberals, but they're actually socialists. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, they, one of the non-socialist parties in Sweden goes by the name of the Liberal Party. <laughs> Were you happy to leave? Were you sad to leave? Did you did you ever get past the colonial stage? You know, at first everything is foreign, everything is different, and it's interesting. Then everything is different, and it becomes a pain in the neck, and you can't stand it. And if you overcome the second stage, then they tell me you're acclimated. Well, Did I, you ever get I, that think we, stage? I don't think I think we left with both of those feelings still existent. <coughs> Um, I personally enjoyed living in Europe 
as you say, just because it's different. Sure. I really enjoyed the differences, the cultural differences, learning about it, and being that close to the Soviet Union. One of my real interests is, is uh, Soviet foreign policy and foreign action, so I spent a great deal of my time in the evenings uh, listening to and analyzing uh, Radio Moscow's uh, English program. English Reading from the New York Times. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess we subscribe to the uh, International Herald Tribune, which is a combination of the Times and the, and the Washington, and the Washington Post. Post, and it was incredible listening to uh, Radio mm -hmm. Moscow and its very common propaganda themes, and then turning to this newspaper mm -hmm. and the finding echoes. the exact same almost thing. The, the phrases and words showing up you know, within days working together working hand in hand it was it was more than a coincidence it just happened to me what do the people hope for there Carl? Uh, let's say the average uh, family housewife what is their vision of the future most of my friends were christians so i can speak about them um, the ones I know would like to have Christian education for their children. I think they're afraid for their children because they know that they're going to be taught things they don't want them taught, but they have no way of stopping that. Christian education is available in some places as long as it's state-approved curriculum, but it's in very few places. And um, one family we know would dearly love to come to the United States but they have no relatives here they have no job here so it's probably impossible and they would like their children to be saved from what they face we have some uh, some close friends who are refugees from Iran a uh, very family oriented family although they're not Christians they're Muslims normally uh, came to Sweden because it was available to them the best way that they could get out of Iran um, and are being well taken care of as many immigrants are at least in their initial stages uh, family left because they had a 14 year old son who was very close to being inducted into the army and they knew that when he was he would be gone and he would be dead because Khomeini is sending the waves to the Iraqi front and that's the last they hear so we have you know, hundreds and thousands of Iranian families who are leaving Iran to save their children. This particular family now has just written me a letter begging me to uh, help them come to the United States because they still fear for their children. Uh, they want to bring their children up uh, um, in a way that, that they can have control over them uh, in a positive sense. To rear them as they, according to their own values, and they know that that's not going to be possible in Sweden. Well, Sweden was the uh, first country to wipe out the laws against pornography, was it not? I'm not sure about that statistic, but mm -hmm. uh, it could very well be uh, evidence what's available in terms of pornography in the country. That was one of the most distressing things to me to go to the grocery store and at the lowest rack level the most obscene magazine that you can imagine and any picture that you can imagine was visible to children in the 
places where you rented video movies, the worst pornography was mixed right in next to, in fact, the children's movies. Um, movies are rated um, for younger ages, not by sex and bad language, but by violence. The Three Musketeers was an R-rated movie or a movie rated for older children because there was sword fighting. But we took home a movie for our son's birthday. It was a comedy that was rated for children six years old, had the most foul language you can imagine. Uh, you got to watch very carefully when you're watching television. Um, movies are always run uncut. As a family, we uh, we spent some time watching any English language program that would be on, just to have something to watch when we first came. And uh, on occasion, we would watch uh, an American television movie or or a theater movie that had been shown on American television. We had seen it on television and thought it to be uh, a good, clean movie. And uh, then realizing uh, in the middle of the program that apparently it had been cut and censored for American television and not so on Swedish television we suddenly found our children confronted with uh, nude scenes and, uh, and uh, sexual escapades and so you always had to watch uh, you never know what would show up on television what effect did this have on the Swedish people? well they seemed numb to the whole idea they, in fact they are proud that this is the, the Swedish wave to be liberated sexually uh, not to be ashamed of their bodies they make a great case uh, about that they're uh, not ashamed of their bodies and so we can go out to the public beaches and the children generally swim without any swimming suit on and uh, the adults uh, and the women uh, commonly free to swim, swim topless, topless. So in that, fact, that's it's, a very common thing. it's not unusual to have your next door neighbor sunbathing in the nude. Well, <laughs> you can see why, uh, with that kind of thing prevalent there, there is a hostility towards Christians and Christian standards. It's. Uh, said that Norway offers some resistance to this sort of thing. Were you able to get any insight into the situation in Norway? Well, uh, limited. Um, the insight that I did get was very disappointing in one particular area, and that was in the area of uh, homosexuality. Norway, in fact, was the first nation in the world to pass a, a national law forbidding any kind of discrimination against homosexuals and that it was so sweeping that it included making derogatory remarks about homosexuality oh, you mean <coughs> in public or anywhere from the pulpit uh, yes and including from the pulpit and that's how the, the matter came to my attention one of the <coughs> adjunct professors at the college uh, where I worked our uh, professor of practical theology is uh, the uh, pastor of the largest and fastest growing um, full gospel churches in Oslo and a very, very active uh, Christian reconstructionist as a matter of fact and very active in, in applying the Christian faith to uh, practical areas of, of living in society. He also uh, 
was the first to establish a Christian radio broadcast and has now broken the television monopoly and has uh, put together a tele satellite network. Um, on his radio programs, so this, the subject of homosexuality was discussed, and he led a, uh, a nationwide campaign against um, homosexual influence in Norwegian society, and uh, the homosexuals would call into his radio program and pretend to be uh, repentant homosexuals, ask for prayers, and then in the middle of the conversation would suddenly uh, throw off the mask and start to say very obscene things to him, uh, proposition him on the air, uh, harass him to the point where he just couldn't accept the calls on his program anymore. On one of his programs, he prayed a prayer, and the prayer was that uh, that God would bring an end to the influence of homosexuals in Norway. A lesbian member of parliament who was responsible for passage of that law brought charges against him, criminal charges. He was originally acquitted in the local court, and the, uh, through the work of this lesbian member of parliament, the national Minister of Justice prosecuted an appeal to the Supreme Court, and that that acquittal couldn't happen in the United States, but the acquittal was overturned, and he was convicted at the Supreme Court level. The case was sent back to city court, where for sentencing he was sentenced to uh, jail time, which was suspended and uh, given a fine. I forget the amount now, but it was a substantial fine. What should you call them over there, Excellencies? <laughs> <laughs> you just uh, you just don't say anything of a negative nature about homosexuality. And his prayer, that you know, simply a prayer, not naming anyone, well, not calling for discrimination. No speech. That's exactly what happened in his case. Yes, that's a good point, Otto. Freedom of speech is being destroyed in the name of non-discrimination. Mm -hmm. And freedom of speech requires that you discriminate between well, good and evil, right and wrong. Of course, and it also means freedom to express your opinion. Yes. And you have a perfect God-given right to dislike something. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't like spinach, that's okay. <laughs> and if you don't like an individual, that's okay too. You don't have a right to be unjust. But you certainly don't have to uh, admire what is loathsome to you. Yes. Well, our time is just about up. I think this has been a most rewarding uh, session because it tells us the direction of our world today. Sweden is, as you said, in the vanguard. And here where we can still speak out against some of these things. We had better do it and set an example for the world and reverse this world trend. Or else God is going to judge us. Too much is given of them, much shall be required, our Lord says. Well, we thank you all for listening. God bless you all. And we're going to go into some other areas. Behind the Iron Curtain,
with Gary and Carlinda on another occasion. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by Christ Rules dot com